Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast, the SV Pod with Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve. They bring you the insights you need to know during March Madness, as well as their stories about being dads, dads are cool, and a steady mix of things they hate. Listen to the SV Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on Monday morning from a hotel room in Los Angeles, California, where last Friday... I recorded an episode with Kevin Pelton going through all the discrete races in the NBA. The race for 6th in the West, the race for 10th in the West, the race for 2nd in the West, the race for all the play-in spots in the East. And I said to Kevin Pelton, you know, I have this race in the West for the 4th seed. The Warriors are in it. On Monday, this could all look completely different. And sure enough, a weekend in the NBA can change a lot of things. The Warriors poop the bed again on the road. Every single road game, it's just getting tiresome. They're down to 7th. They're 500. The Sixers just keep destroying everyone. Overtook Boston for number 2 uh, in the East. The Clippers rebounded from a loss to the Magic without Kawhi Leonard and continue to look pretty damn good without Kawhi Leonard. They're creeping, creeping, creeping into solidifying a top 5 and maybe the number four spot. Everything changes every night. Tonight we have Minnesota trying to end a losing streak in New York. We have Philly-Chicago, the first set of a two-game back-to-back, or home, I guess it's a back I don't know if it's a literal back-to-back, but they're playing each other twice in a row. Big for the Bulls, hell-bent on the 10th seed. There's a little bit of separation now between the Bulls at 10 and the Wizards and the Pacers at 11 and 12. We have the Warriors going on the road again, and Chris Herring... If they lose to the Houston Rockets on the road, I might decide right then and there in a fit of rage and frustration that I am done waiting for the Warriors to become the Warriors again. That is what is at stake tonight. Just another Monday in the NBA in the play-in era with 10 games to go. Best-selling author, Sports Illustrated columnist, podcaster, writer, newsletter guy, Chris Herring. How are you? I'm good. This man. is my second large coffee of the morning in Los Angeles. <laughs> that probably explains that. Although you also do this each time I come on. I'm I'm honored to join you as always. How are you? I'm good, man. It's it's crazy. So let's just before we're gonna talk about six man of the year, which is a very interesting race. I love to do these little awards things with ten games mm-hmm. left, sort of a snapshot of where we are. But I just gave a bunch of stuff that happened over the weekend. Everything changes every freaking night now. It's so wild. It's been three days since I've talked about the NBA. You haven't come on in a while. What was the most interesting, disturbing, encouraging, whatever thing that happened over the weekend in the eyes of Chris Herring? I, I mean, I part of me, because certain things have just been the way they've been for a while now. Like, we keep waiting for the Warriors to learn how to win on the road and different stuff like that. So, to me, I'm kind of interested in the stuff that is – kind of still ongoing but is still somewhat of a new trend like the nuggets struggling um and to me it's just strange because i I also feel like it's a good entry point to just talk about the west in general of like you any team in the west even the kings who've played really really well lately i I feel like it would be a very easy team to be like or very easy conference to just kind of say any one of these teams could be out within the first week and a half, two weeks of the playoffs, and it wouldn't be stunning. And any team could make it to the second round or the conference finals, and it might not be totally, totally stunning either. And I think that that's only amplified by the fact that the Nuggets have struggled too. Even when they've won, haven't necessarily looked really great doing it. 
um, essentially the worst defense in the league for the last couple of weeks. So it's to me, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by that just because there's not really like a key injury to explain it. There's not a key guy missing that explains it. It's just they're, they're not playing well. And that's even with Jokic putting up good numbers, which also I think is an interesting talking point just from the standpoint of this, uh, as, as I've heard you lament and a lot of people have lamented the, the MV, MVP race, which, um, you know, I, I thought was starting to look like it was his award to lose at one point in the season. But obviously when you go through a losing streak and your counterpart that is uh, essentially neck and neck in the race with you is playing well and his team is playing really well, it tightens that up too, I would imagine. I saw the the odds for that um, essentially neck and neck now. So that's what I just continue to kind of, keep an eye on i think it's interesting so a a number of things western conference related that you just hit i will ask you the same question that i asked kevin pelton and i asked myself last friday which is you mentioned the nuggets you mentioned the kings we haven't mentioned john morant is going to come back this week and what that means for the grizzlies kevin durant is still out in phoenix on and on and on based on what we know right now today monday march 20th 9 40 a.m pacific time and we know a little bit more than we did last Friday when I asked Kevin. Darvin Ham indicated last night uh, at the Lakers game that LeBron is going to come back at some point during the season, or that's the plan. Anyway, so we got a little clarity on that. The Durant and Andrew Wiggins timetables are a little bit less sort of clear, but let's let's be optimistic, I guess, if we choose to. Who would you pick right now to win the West? This is a non-binding pick. It's just a fun pick. Don't worry about it. Just right, right, right. Not Who here. would you pick based on, not if everyone's healthy, not if all these ideal things happen, just based on what we know now? You know what I would do? And Because I, I thought about this this, this morning. Um, I, I think it bodes well for Phoenix that if all these other teams are still trying to figure stuff out, that it doesn't put Phoenix anymore behind the eight ball of, of getting cohesion with Durant. Also, and I don't really suspect this, but... You know, I'm always that person that at the beginning of a season, my first year covering the NBA was 12, 13, the, the Knicks. So it was like the last time Knicks fans, fans were having this much fun, basically. 54 uh, wins. They won 54 games. They were a two seed. Some people thought that they could realistically get to the conference finals and take Roy out. The Roy Hibbert. Roy <laughs> Hibbert. Knicks fans Stood are in their way. Dominant series. It's dominant series by Roy Hibbert. It was. Uh but because of that year, I think it's always made me more. That was a year where Carmelo Anthony uh, ended up playing power forward because Amari Stoudemire kind of got hurt or, or had a, a, a messed up knee right before the season. And it kind of forced the Knicks to play around with their lineups a little bit more. So they played lineups at the beginning of the season that they really hadn't rolled out at all. They had like six new guys on that team. Jason Kidd was on that team in his last year. And so they were running out with two-point guard lineups with Kidd and Felton. And it made me wonder for a while because the Knicks jumped out to the best start in the league. And a lot of it had to do with their spacing and playing Mel at the four. But it made me wonder, like, do teams that haven't had, that there's really no film on or very limited film on, is there something that they benefit from out of the gate? Because essentially, like, it's kind of a crapshoot as to how you're going to defend them and how you're going to play them. Um so I know that obviously Durant got a couple games in with them, but there's a part of me that wonders, like you you will not have seen some of the counters that they're going to throw out there, some of the sets that they could potentially implement or other things like that. Um, Kevin Durant, we've talked about how he's kind of the most seamless superstar that you can just plug into something, kind of a plug-and-play superstar. So I, I think that all the things that people have wondered about, and even you know some of my colleagues at SI – have said like, man, I don't think you can realistically put the Suns right there as like the favorite 
with Durant not playing, but we're looking at the Lakers and their situation and, and maybe them becoming more of a threat if, if they can make it in and they're healthy and they've got a new rotation of guys. We're talking about the Warriors not being able to win on the road and they would need to potentially win four in a series or not four road games, but they need to win four games in a series and at least one on the road. If they're going to win as a lower seed, the nuggets are doing what they're doing. The Grizzlies, as you just mentioned, and a lot of people or a lot of people just kind of assume that some of these teams are going to be taking aim at the Kings. I don't know if anybody's realistically going to tank their way into a spot to gun for anybody. Cause I think that the standings are just too close, but with it being topsy turvy for basically everybody, at this point, I, I do think that that bodes well for a team like Phoenix. So I answered Phoenix, and I don't need to repeat it. You just summed it up very well. Kevin Pelton said, if if it's chaos and you're asking me to make a pick now, I'm just going with the team that has the best record and home court advantage. So he went with Denver. Mm-hmm. And I spent some time with the Kings. The Kings were in New York last week. I can tell you this. If teams are aiming for the Kings – <laughs> the, Kings, the Kings right now, to a man, coaches, players, probably the mascot, whoever pushes the beam, Vivek Ranadive, who I was able to say hello to in the corridor, and I wonder if he knows how much fun I've made of him over the years, probably does. Um, they're, they're all, all of them, their reaction is, bring it. You want us? Yeah. Bring it. We're number two in the West. We're not scared of anybody. We're healthy. We see all of you wobbling in uncertainty. We have faith in the way we play. Yeah, our defense, it's not great. We think it's probably a little better than the numbers. That's what they'll tell you. Like, because mm-hmm. teams have been hot from mid-range from three all season. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we're not a great defensive team. Their offense, I have a piece coming out on the Kings tomorrow. Their offense is a bear. It's number yeah. one in the league by a lot. And they love this idea that, oh, things are going to slow down in the playoffs, you know, they won't be able to get out and transition. And they love it. They're like, wait until you see us in the playoffs. We might even play faster. I So so I'm right there with you on that, from that standpoint, just because I, I spent some time with them uh, last month, and I, I just had a piece come out on them last week, I think, uh, for the magazine. And it's so interesting because, you know, when you report out these longer pieces, um, and I don't know that the average reader knows this. A lot of times it comes together over a week, over two weeks. In my case, even though my story's up, I think it's just now coming out in the magazine. Um, but I yeah, you went to, to Sacramento. People. You went to Sacramento. I, I went there for one of these back to backs that you were talking about to try to get multiple players and and you know, Mike Brown and uh Monty McNair one on one. And it's so interesting because now it feels like it was such a long time ago. I talked to them right before the all-star break and talking to Monty McNair, I ended up deciding really not to play up some of his quotes from the story, but I, I essentially asked him because I could hear how adamant he was at the time where if you go back and look, the Kings had a record that, you know, th- th- yes, they, they would have been favored to make the playoffs at the all-star break. But it wasn't like a completely, completely, completely foregone conclusion that they would. When Sabonis broke his thumb, which is sort of the flashbulb moment of their season, they Mm -hmm. were 17 and 14. Like they were, they were solid, but like you said, a two game losing streak from being 10th. And I was pushing my editors to let me go write a story about the Kings in November because I think a lot of us thought this is a really fun, cute story, a team that hasn't won in a while, a fan base that's electric because of that. 
But let me go write the story now before it's not necessarily this big, fuzzy, feel-good story anymore when they start losing. Um, and obviously they kept winning. Sabonis kept playing. But in talking to Monty McNair right before the All-Star break, I, I asked him a question of, I hear so much emphasis on playoffs, and I get it because it's been 16 years, but how do you transition from just making the playoffs and being happy to do that to then like you're a two or a three seed at some point. And I, at the time that was a question where he was still just, you know, essentially saying we're going to focus on this first part, which I understand saying that, but now it, now you've, I don't think you've technically clinched, but you've got a winning record and looking at the rest of the way that the West has panned out, you're obviously going to make it and you're obviously going to make it with a home court. So it's going to be interesting, but I felt like his response to me when I asked about it was um, we had a conversation about that moment where the Timberwolves um, celebrated when they won the plan. And he essentially said, people made fun of that. And I imagine people are going to have fun and make fun of our situation with the way people are going to celebrate when we have that experience. But this fan base, like you, you, maybe you can't understand it if you haven't been through it. So I'm going to be very, very interested to see how they handle it because it sounded like to me when I talked to Mike and I talked to Monty at the time, and again, this was early, like mid-February, Mike was very, very much like, yo, I'm here to win a championship. He didn't say Mike the playoffs Brown. didn't Coach matter. Mike Brown. Mike Brown. But he was like, I, I didn't come here to make the playoffs. I came to win a championship. And at the time, and again, a while ago, a month ago, a month and a half ago, um, Monty McNair was basically saying, like, it's going to be a massive deal for us to make the playoffs, and we're not going to shy away from – we're not going to be ashamed of the fact that it's going to be, like, an emotional thing for us to make the playoffs. So they they now, I think, because there's so much distance between them and everybody else, they pro it probably helps them to have done that, to have kind of uh, rounded third base, and now they know that they're in and that it's not going to be like a last week of the season sort of thing because now – you're, you're the hunted at this point, and they do. You're absolutely right. They have an offense that um, it's not fun to play against. And I, uh, I I watched the Knicks fans on my timeline, the ones that I follow from having covered them for years, just to kind of get the fan base's reactions. They were like, what the hell is this offense? Like, why can't we get stops? But this has been everybody all year not being able to contain the handoff situation, not being able to stop Sabonis one-on-one -on -one when he gets all the spacing, like, a, you know, a, a mansion's worth of spacing. Um, not being able to control the tempo at which they play and how they're going to go off of makes and everything else. Uh, Kevin Herter flying around, Keegan Murray flying around. It's difficult, and it it, it probably takes something out of you a little bit um, offensively sometimes to have to try to play at that sort of pace. You can play it for two quarters. Can you do it for three or for four? So um, I was at the game in Brooklyn last Thursday <clears throat> where they won their 42nd game. And clinched a winning season for the first time. This is a real thing since 2006. And they have gotten so far ahead that what should have been a big moment for them, some of the players didn't even realize what had happened after the yeah. game and didn't care. On Monty McNair, I just as an aside, this is a I, I'm I'm impressed with Monty McNair's discipline because he went to Princeton. And if this happened to my little school and we were in the Sweet 16, I would be off the reservation. I would have abandoned my team and you would see video of me in the streets of wherever Princeton is playing, <laughs> behaving very badly 
and being like, I'm the GM of the King. Yeah, baby. I'll see you in a couple <laughs> weeks. Like, I would be out. So good for my yeah. nightmare. Good, good for, for him because also last year, man, like the – and I talked to season ticket holders about this. The fans were obviously not happy about that Halliburton – Sabonis oh, trade. Wait until wait till you read the lead of my story tomorrow about that. Wait I can't wait. I can't wait. I mean, it's you know, but I'm I'm really and I've said this repeatedly, and I think Kings fans probably feel like I'm their best friend now. But I'm I'm really happy for those fans. I'm happy for any fan base that has had a really long drought and they get to experience this. Every every fan base deserves to have that. Um, point. a couple other quick things on the West, and then we'll move on. I think so. Denver. Uh, I I don't even think they righted the ship. They bailed out some of the water. By beating the Pistons, <laughs> who stink in Detroit. The Pistons aren't trying to win anymore, if they ever were. And then holding on against the Nets in Brooklyn on the second half of a back-to-back. So that's a good win. They lost to the Knicks in between on the road in what was a pretty competitive game. I said last week, um, I think what's happened with Denver is more than just, eh, we're bored, this is a malaise. Their depth is really, really worrisome. Their defense has slipped. And I think their grip on favorite status has dissipated into the point where I answered Phoenix to this question. Memphis, all the stuff on the Morant situation, and, you know, I'm I'm happy to see he's likely going to come back later this week. I don't know what can be accomplished in a week of counseling that changes your life so dramatically, but, you know, I don't know what his specific situation is, and, and we all love to watch John Morant play, and I think on the court he has been – an exceptional leader for that team in the way he plays and the way he carries himself. So hopefully he'll come back. I think the Morant stuff has totally overshadowed how devastating the Brandon Clark and Steven Adams injuries are to everything that Memphis is as a team, to their identity, to the fundamental way that they win with rim pressure, offensive rebounding, ferocity, tenacity and I know Steven Adams timetable is uncertain like there's I think it was like took it right to the end of the regular season so we'll see Mm -hmm. but I I I went through the numbers last last week with Steven Adams on the floor they have an offensive rebounding rate of 37 percent that means they rebound almost 40 percent of their own misses which is ridiculous Steven Adams was in the middle of one of the greatest one of the five greatest offensive rebounding seasons in the history of the NBA he is now in the conversation as like one of the half dozen greatest offensive rebounders ever, period. And Clark off the bench has just been a sensational two-way reserve for them. We're going to talk about sixth man. I think he would have been kind of on the fringes of this conversation had he stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, the the Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, 4-5 combination has been a consistent blowout winner for the Grizzlies for three, four seasons now. And even if Morant comes back, and even if he's at full throttle, even if Desmond Bain continues to play like he was before he got injured and he's been sensational, I just – and Jaron Jackson, the last few games without Morant, is putting up 25-30 a game, looks sensational. So they'll have their big three, and that's a real big three. I, I just think if Adams is a shell of himself and Clark is gone, I just don't think they have enough to, to – now, the West is so chaotic. Could they win around? Yeah. Could they be in the – Sure. A dogfight for the second round? Sure. I think this now becomes a season where they could have made a run to the finals, and I think it's now, without those two guys, it's been totally overshadowed by Morant. I think it's unlikely, um, at, to, to say the least. And I'm just, you know, we'll see. Other, these other teams every every year will change, but every every day they'll we'll change our sort of perception of them. But 
you mentioned, you know, we we talked about LeBron as, as kind of an aside. You know, if he can come back, they're going to be in the play-in. I, I would be shocked at this point if they're not in the play-in. They're they're thirty-five and thirty-seven. They're tied with Minnesota, who's quietly on a three-game losing streak. And Anthony Edwards got hurt last week. That's not great. I just think the Lakers should be able to hold off Utah and New Orleans. I, I know that's not a high bar to clear, but like let's I, I think they should be able to do that. I think they're dangerous with LeBron. And in plotting out what would be the most fun first round series, the Grizzlies are usually involved because the Grizzlies are just they talk to everybody. Everybody hates them. <laughs> the Dylan Brooks Clay Thompson feud is like the f- most fun thing going on in the NBA right now. Could Dylan Brooks just stop doing things, by the way? Stop. Did you see the pushing of the cameraman? Like, dude, what are you doing? It's a cameraman. I know. I know. He's not a, on the other team. Just leave him alone. He's trying to do his job. Why do you have to do – like, it's fine to be an irritant to the other team. All this extra stuff is like, we get it, man. Like, this is your, This is who you are. You've become an – like, Casual sports fans know who Dylan Brooks averaging 10 points a game is because of all this stuff. Just like maybe dial it back 15%. I don't even know what the hell. Oh, the Lakers. Can you imagine, based on everything we just talked about, if the Sacramento Kings, after 16 years out of the playoffs, somehow draw the Lakers in the first round? Oh, yeah. And it's Kings, Lakers, with all that history and all the California geography and everything – Oh my God! I like part of me, and I love this part of not being a fan of any team, at least anymore. You know, from from basically when I was a, a kid, maybe a, a young teenager, you just get to root for what would be the most fun to watch, and it you know like without caring about who's going to win or who's going to lose. Uh, that would be incredible. I mean, for a few days there, we had the Suns and the Warriors Dude, in position they- to play each other. We would get the thing where Kings fans figure out where the Lakers are staying, and like we would get these things like they're gonna call, they're gonna set the fire alarm off at three in the morning, they're gonna try and like tamper with the food. They're gonna, like all that stuff would happen again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything past these Kings. These Kings fans are hilarious. Also, by the way, I, uh, I had one in my story who, I, I what I, what I'm always really curious about are the people that just barely miss out on being able to experience this night in, night out. So I talked to some season ticket holders, uh, former season ticket holders and some that are still current season ticket holders. But I wanted to talk to someone, and I think I put out a question on Twitter of like, are there any Kings fans that follow me that had season tickets last year and in light of breaking the record for the longest playoff drought in history and the Halliburton-Sabonis trade that people felt a certain way about at the time, is there anybody that essentially abandoned their season tickets and just let them lapse? And I got someone who did that and he was able to talk his wife into getting them last year after years of trying. It's not an overly wealthy person. He's a baggage handler at the airport there in Sacramento. And now kind of side eyes his wife, like, man, see, I told you like we would want to stick with this, but last year when they were terrible and he couldn't make it to all the games because he had the job, he couldn't sell the tickets for anything. So it was just, you had to just take a loss on every night because you could not give those tickets away. Now they're great. But I talked to another season ticket fan, uh, season ticket holder. And he was like, Chris, let me just walk you through it. Like I've had these tickets since 2017. Like it's wonderful now, but in the years where they're terrible, it's like, it's like paying child support for 15 children that just constantly disappoint you having season tickets. And it was one of the funniest quotes that I've ever gotten, but uh, again, I'm just really happy that I'm in, uh, at the end of that tunnel, you get to see some light. 
I, I, part of me, I, I've, I've said this. I really want to be at that first game, that first playoff game, just to experience that. I, I got a chance to cover the Knicks um, in 2012. They had been to the playoffs the few years before that with Carmelo and Amari and everything. But I, uh, I really want to be there for that first game because you know it will be electric. If it's the Lakers, it'll be insane. It would just be incredible. The the atmosphere there and watching the betting odds would be really interesting, quite frankly, too, for for a series like that. Just because um, I want to say when the Lakers played the the Suns, I I bet the Lakers walk in as favorites. I mean, wasn't that the case essentially a couple years ago when the the Suns were the two and the Lakers were the seven? I want to say, Uh, obviously, uh, AD got hurt right at the beginning of that series, but. You have to. You are contractually obligated to mention that Chris Paul also got hurt, or everyone in Phoenix will scream at you on social media. So please <laughs> mention that Touché. as well. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part: each transaction is a step toward a free eleventh ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's talk about six man of the year, which is ostensibly the reason why you're on here. I like, I, I love to do these little awards things. And six man of the year is always interesting because when you go through it, you are reminded that certain candidates that you might like are not eligible because just like injuries thrust them into the starting lineup. So I think the I, 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 several guys are close and are not going to be eligible. Gary Trent Jr. is not going to be eligible. Jordan Poole is not going to be eligible. Not that he's had a good, I, I, I've been frankly disappointed with his season. His turnovers, man. Yeah, he has like a lot three of turnovers a game where there are turnovers like when Steve Nash committed a lot of turnovers. Like, I see what you're doing there. And there's sort of like it's baked into this is what makes us go is your risky passing and all of this. Jordan Poole's turnovers are like, were you aiming for the guy in the fourth row? Like, what what are you doing, <laughs> man? Um, anyway, uh, and I, I think the the poster guy for this is. Malcolm Brogdon is going to get a lot of publicity for six man of the year. I think he's one of the four or five front runners for it. Mm-hmm. I would, I actually think Derek white has been better than he has for the Celtics, but Derek white has started a million games because everyone's injured. So he's not eligible, even though when the Celtics are at full strength, yep. he and Brogdon are the best bench backcourt in the NBA, but I, I'm not, I'm not able to vote for him. So anyway, um, I have a long list and a short list of like seven guys, and then I have after the seven guys, guys whose names I just want to say because I'm, I'm I think they've had a nice season. 
Um, mm-hmm. Where would you like to start this conversation? Do you have a clear favorite? I'm not sure there's a clear favorite right now, but it it looks like it might be <sighs> starting to coalesce around somebody. I've got like two, three guys that I think are are like really, really in it. And even with that, I would say more like two. So do you want to work backwards no, let's from do the, the guys, two. like let's, the let's long start, list guys? No, let's start with the two. Because you've got it narrowed to two, which is narrower than I have it. Although if okay. I actually sat down and That's thought what I did. about it, thought yeah. about more like if I had to make some tough cuts, who would I cut? I, mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to come to the same. I have a hunch who your same two guys is. Can I guess uh-huh. who they are? Sure. Malcolm Brogdon mm-hmm. and Emmanuel Quickly. Yes. So I think Knicks fans, I want to be clear on this. There are 10 games left. This is my initial snapshot. Snapshot. Not my deep dive, not my decision, not my ballot, not anything <laughs> like that. I, I think Emmanuel Quickly might be the favorite now to win this award. He has been that good. And and statistically, you know, Brogdon is at 15, 4, and 4, 49% shooting, 46% on three. So he's got the shooting advantage. Quickly yeah. is at 14, 3, and 4, 45% shooting, 36% on threes. They're about even on twos. The Knicks have been way better with Quickly on the floor versus off the floor. That's been the case for years. Part of that was their starters were so bad before the season. Um, Brogdon, the Celtics have been good either way. Defensively and rebounding quickly is just a menace to society. And he just feels to me, and this is almost unfair to Brogdon because it's it's demeriting him for playing on a better team with two superstars or one superstar and one borderline All-NBA player at least in Jalen Brown. Quickly just feels more essential to the Knicks' identity and feel and style that Brogdon does in Boston. Brogdon feels like this ingredient you plop in he plays a little differently than the rest of the Celtics. Like, go do your thing. Get us some buckets. Like, that's it's, it's great. Quickly feels essential to the fabric of the Knicks in a way that Brogdon doesn't to the Celtics. I mean, you're not going to get an argument from me here. I mean, if I'm if I'm being fully transparent, I, I probably have quickly ahead here. Uh, you know, to, to your point. Which, by about- the way, a month into the season, you would have not have thought we would get here with the way he was shooting. No, not at all. There's that. Uh, there's the fact that I picked Brogdon as my preseason six man of the year as well. Uh, not that I I'm also, you know, How I'm also someone you? that I'm also someone that I'm pretty sure last year had Embiid as my preseason MVP and, and then voted Jokic. So, I mean, stuff happens over the course of a season. And I, I, I would not shy away from the fact at all that quickly. And there have been particular games, one of which was against Brogdon and the Celtics where he just feels so integral to what they're doing. Um, And frankly, there's a part of me, like Brogdon is a fine defender. It's not a knock on him. Certainly he'd be better defensively than most of the people that win six man are, by the way. He's better guarding up in size than quickly is, but quickly I think has been better overall. Yes. And, And there's a part of me that thinks that likes the idea of quickly getting the award just because I think the the defensive stuff has become a huge part of his mo with the Knicks and again you know first of all I I think it was was it Zach Cram who uh, over at the Ringer that did a piece it was about Brogdon um, much much earlier in the month and it was basically saying like Brogdon would not fit the prototype for who wins this award because neither him nor quickly are like 
I don't even know if they're top five in scoring for bench guys. Like Matherin, a rookie, has more is averaging more than both of them. Um, but it, it, I mean, quickly averages, I think, even a little bit less than Brogdon does from a scoring perspective. Um, but he, he's just, I mean, you, you talked about his numbers, his uh, advanced stuff. What are the Knicks, like 11 points better defensively per 100 possessions with quickly on the court? Something ridiculous. Uh, and also, like you said, in the past, that's sometimes been because the Knicks were just so bad. Starting wise, uh, you know, they for a year or two started Alfred Payton. Um, they oh have a per, they, they have a pretty good so group of guards for, now. For some reason, that just the mention of Alfred Payton, Nick's starting point guard, just hit me in the solar plexus in a way I did not. I just didn't expect that to be part of my life it, today. If it, if it hit you that way, imagine how it hit Nick fans when they're in the midst of a playoff run trying to start the guy in playoff game. So, uh, I mean, you know, but he, he, even with those guys off the floor, because I think when you look at the numbers, Brogdon, when he's out there without Tatum or Brown, uh, which, you know, you're going to be out there without Brown just with the, with the injuries and stuff like that. He's, I think the Celtics have been like a minus five per 100. When quickly has been out there without uh, Randall Brunson or, Barrett, who is a guy that gets a lot of shots sometimes, he's been a plus six and a half per 100. So he just, he feels like more of an engine sometimes, like you said, Brogdon. And that was the way people felt when Brogdon uh, was dealt there, when they, when they made the trade for him is that, wow, like that was a hell of a piece to go add to this cog that had just made it to the finals. Quickly is just a guy that you plug him into the starting lineup. He has the game that he had against the Celtics and helps them win it in overtime, two overtimes, I think. Uh, he's defending his butt off. He's a guy that is just launching from crazy spots on the floor. He's a guy that runs it up in transition. He's a guy that will make defensive plays that kind of can change the game. Um, he's a guy that has added to his game a little bit. He's always had the floater, but he's been more efficient than it with it than ever. He's a guy that, uh, you know, every now and then you look up, he's hitting relocation threes, which has kind of been more part of his diet this year. He just kind of feels like the guy to me right now. And uh, I, I will also mention, too, as you're mentioning the, the statistical profile for these guys, he's also played way more minutes than just about anybody in this conversation. Mm -hmm. He's played, I don't know if it's been every he's, game, but he's, he's missed, played. I think he's missed one game the whole season. Yeah, so because of that, he's at 71 games and more than 2,000 minutes. And Brogdon, despite being relatively healthy this year, is at 60 games and 1550 for minutes. And that's kind of where most of these guys in this conversation are is between the you know the 14 15 1600 range at most um when i look down at somebody like tyus jones for instance uh westbrook if you want to go that far down the list has 1800 minutes um so quickly's kind of got a huge advantage here from a minute standpoint because he's played in most of these games some of which he's been a starter some of which have gone to overtime but that strikes me as a factor when you've got a race that i think is this close and this competitive I think the simplest way to boil down the notion that he feels more essential to what the Knicks are is he closes games and Malcolm Brogdon doesn't always close games. Quickly mm -hmm. and Hart are stealing minutes from Grimes and Barrett every single night. Josh Hart, by the way, the new mayor of New York City, is not eligible for six man of the year because he started too many games for the Blazers. Isn't uh, that crazy that you said that about Derek White and – They've got heart, and he's been like a six-man level way, guy since he's been there, but he was a starter the whole season. Wherever box out Josh Hart is 
on the scouting report, it needs to be moved up like nine slots because <laughs> that dude is trying to get every single offensive rebound on top of everything else he does, the passing, the coast-to-coast drives, the defense, all mm-hmm. that. But someone's got to box his ass out or else he's going to get like 10 offensive rebounds in one of these games. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't just – I think both of these guys would be, would be deserving. Um, here are some other names. Here are some other names. Let's go through some other names. If we think those are our top two, here okay. are um, here are some other people that I think deserve upper echelon love, and with more games, I think would be closer. So Bobby Portis, I think was was a very popular choice midway through the season. He's averaging mm-hmm. fourteen and ten, um, twenty six minutes a game. He's missed eleven games. Shooting well now, his his three is starting to pick back up again. He's shooting almost sixty percent on twos. Just always seems to get a bucket at the right minute for for the Bucks, um, and can flow in and out of every kind of lineup type. You know, with Giannis, with Lopez, um, with neither of them if necessary, is the only big guy on the floor. Feel like he's kind of fallen behind the other two. Um, uh, we we should probably talk about what Austin Reeves did last night. For the Lakers, yeah. putting up 35 points. And I've said on this podcast the last couple of times we've talked about him, um, I, I think in the absence of in various overlapping or non-overlapping periods, LeBron, Davis, and Russell, he has over the last six weeks amped it up as a scorer and sort of shed the, oh, my God, I'm playing with these guys, deference. And mm-hmm. I think he needs to keep that mindset when those guys come back because he can he can score well enough off the dribble that he's a threat and if defenses treat him as a threat it's going to open up his passing which is maybe his best skill he's averaging 12 points three rebounds three assists on 52 percent shooting 39 percent from three the lakers are plus two with him on the floor minus three with him off the floor i think he's in the conversation for a ballot spot for six man of the year which really I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that before the season. Oh, of course not. And I, it, to your point from last night, look, what, what did he finish with 30? When you said 35, like he had like what? 16 trips to the line or something. It, it was like, it, these are AD type uh, numbers just as far as the production getting to the line uh, with LeBron out with Westbrook, no longer on the team is a huge contribution. And it, I've always thought and kind of wondered for teams like this, even Minnesota, we talked about that with uh, having towns out for as long as they did now, now Anthony Edwards, you need, I feel like most championship teams, part of what forges them and really catapults them to that is when they have someone out, someone steps up and becomes way more important than you thought they could be. And they keep those skills kind of hone those skills while someone is out get used to taking on more responsibility so that they're a better player when those people come back. And um, I mean, I, I just think that that was potentially huge for them uh, last night, but also the way he's been playing in general. Speaking of Minnesota on my long list, but not my short list, just, sh- just a guy whose name I want to say Nas Reed only yeah. plays eight, only plays 18 minutes a game. Just not enough minutes. Yeah. Um, um, Malik Monk. Yes. 14 points. 36% shooting on threes, 23, 24 minutes a game. So his minutes aren't quite the, – the, the top bench guys are like 28 minutes-ish a game. Um, but he's just a guy, if you watch the Kings, you know when he's on the floor, the other team is like, uh-oh, 
This guy's on the floor, <laughs> and he'll have some quiet games, but his loud games are as loud as anybody in the league. The version of their starting five when he's in place of Herter is really, really good um, and essential now that Herter's dealing with a day-to-day injury. I think he is in, in, in the short, short list of this conversation, too. So those you, you've now listed the other two guys that I kind of had in that conversation. I, I I imagine we'll talk about Norm Powell at some point. I I just think kind of the timing of him being out. Um, Norm is Powell be, and Christian Wood. We don't need to talk about him. Norm Powell is averaging sixteen a game. Christian Wood's averaging seventeen a game. Norm Powell is just a better player than Christian Wood. Yeah, he has a deeper trust of his coaching staff than Christian Wood does. He's shooting 40% on threes. He's missed 16 games and counting, or now I think it's up to 17 games and counting. And just, I don't know, man. When you watch the Clippers, every other game, you just you just feel like he, he got off to a slow start, then he surged. It's like every other game, something leaves me cold. Like he still hasn't figured out his fit. He's not impacting the game as much as you would hope. And then every other game, it's like this is exactly what they envisioned. I, I just don't think – I don't think he's there with Quickly and Brogdon. It, it, I, I don't have him there. Maybe he could have been just if, if he stayed healthy. I think the last few games before he was out um, were, were a little bit rough. Uh, and, and who knows? Like it, it could be – like I was, I was looking at some of the numbers for these guys in certain situations. He gets very few shots and and – the closing moments of games where the two stars are on the floor for obvious reasons, because the two stars are on the floor, but it's just, you know, you wonder to some extent if it makes it more difficult for somebody like that to hop in and, and, and be a part of that. We watched uh, Lou Williams do it, I guess, but it's maybe it was more natural for him to do it because he was a, a, a ball handling guard as opposed to someone that was kind of flying off the wing around a screen or something like that. He looked like the hands down favorite for a while, uh, you know, to a lot of people for a good chunk of the season. But um, yeah, I I just kind of feel like in that. I will say, um, you know, the Clippers who haven't given a flying, you know what about the regular season for four years are running out of time to figure out their rotation now that they've added Westbrook and Eric Gordon, who's been sensational for them, and Plumlee, who's a very good backup center. It is interesting to watch Ty Lue toggle through the closing lineups. And last night, who'd they beat last night? Why am I blanking out on who they beat last night? Anyway, they beat somebody last night. It was a nice win for the Clippers. Portland, I think. Um, They closed with Westbrook, Gordon, the two stars, and Zubats. So Gordon in place of Marcus Morris, which is a lineup that I know a lot of people had been looking to see if you're going to put Gordon in the closing five. The assumption in in a lot of places has been, well, it will be for Westbrook. And that's been the case in a couple of games too. But a lot of people have been watching like, you know, Morris has kind of been a little shaky this season, particularly defensively. I wonder if they'll try it in place of Morris, and they did last night. How does Norm Powell's return, presumably, impact that? I still like the look of Nick Batum with that group. Nick Batum belong, is on my long list. He just doesn't quite score enough, which you know sounds rich coming from the guy who, me, who wanted Andre Iguodala to win this award like multiple <laughs> times with the Warriors. But, but I know how it's different, yeah. But some of these scores, like Quickly and Brogdon, are also good defensive players. This is not empty calories bench scoring by those guys. Mm-hmm. Um but I just 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 an interesting 
interesting Clippers note as long as we're talking about Powell. Uh, you were going to say something about Malik Monk, I think. Yeah, just that him, him and Portis were really, I had a list of basically four guys and, you know, uh, all of them have missed a little bit of time. I feel like quickly is the only guy that has basically been there every single night. Monk has been there for the most part too. I think he actually missed one or two of the games that I was at uh, in Sacramento because of an injury, but um, he's been fantastic. And I think uh, I was a little skeptical. Like we've looked at the Kings for so long now uh, and it had, you know, with them having a lot of guys that seem to bring firepower on offense and not much defense. I was really skeptical of his fit with this team, but I mean, this team has basically turned out to be, a team that defends hard in the fourth quarters. Uh, they've defended pretty well most fourth quarters. Um, but they've got an offense that is basically like, what are you going to do to stop us? And Malik Monk is a massive part of that. You mentioned the the interchangeability with him and Herter sometimes. And I feel like watching Malik Monk in some of these games, particularly that Clippers win, the double overtime game, where it was 176 to 175, the guy went for 45 points. Um you know, he, he has shot it well in closing moments. There are plenty of games where he closes for Herter when Herter doesn't play particularly well. Um, he's a plus 33 in the clutch. He's shot 19 for 35 in the clutch. And, you know, someone that I don't really think of as a, as a table setter, he's had 13 assists and three turnovers in the clutch as well for a team that's won a bunch of close, close games. Fox gets so much credit for the clutch production and it's going to win hands down. And that, that, uh, what is it? Uh, Jerry West. The Jerry West I'll, Award. So we have him you, as the logo and the Jerry West Award. I'll tell you. Joel Embiid's made a lot of big shots this year. I think Joel Embiid's making Ooh. a late Jerry West Award push. But then again, Darren Fox. You're going to get some angry Kings fans to respond to that. Oh, they're, they're, it's they're, all they're, they're trying to cling to everything do we, they do can we have. Do we vote on year. that award? <laughs> I hope not. God, I hope not. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. So you mentioned maybe the biggest uh, proverbial uh, feather in the cap from Malik Monk is 
6.3 assists per 36 minutes, four assists a game. Mm-hmm. That is blowing away his career high, and it makes the bench for the Kings work because they've shifted him into more of a ball-handling role and Davion Mitchell into more of like kind of an Avery Bradley, be a stopper mm-hmm. on defense, secondary ball-handler kind of role. And that's that's really worked, and it doesn't work without Malik Monk being a, a really good passer. Um, so he's on my short. He could win. Like you could make an argument for him to win. And career and, high and free throws too. Despite like you said before, the the minutes have been less for him. But I just kind of feel like this is such a wide open downhill offense because of the way guys run off Demontis's shoulder um, with these screens that he sets. He he had a quote um, in in my story about the idea of like. Yeah, I get the impression that most people on the other teams don't like me because of the way I set screens, but you would love me if I was your teammate. Um, and I, you get the impression very quickly that <laughs> Malik Monk is enjoying this offense and enjoying the pace of it, enjoying the getting to the line, enjoying just setting guys up because it's it looks like it's a lot of fun. And I feel like sometimes it looks like it's at its most fun when he's out there. You mentioned Matherin, 17 a game. He was over 20 for a bit. He was. So it shows you how he's fallen off. Uh only has a little bit more than an assist per game, which drives me nuts, but he's a rookie. It's fine. 43%, 31% on threes, 31 on threes, 49 on twos. Here's a scorching question for you. Okay. I think I think Matherin, after spending most of the season, has sharpied into number two on the rookie of the year ballot and yeah. so productive that when you would watch Pacers games – the broadcast crew would be like, well, you know, don't forget about him. If Bancaro is slumping, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think you could make a really solid argument that he's not going to finish in the top three of rookie of year voting. And I, 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 I think Jalen sure. Williams, I think Jalen Williams on Oklahoma city wing Jalen Williams is number two with a bullet right now. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the scoring numbers won't, won't be comparable. But Walker Kessler is contributing to winning basketball, I, I think, at a level that might exceed what Matherin is doing in Indiana. I, I know that's going to drive Indiana fans should, crazy. But it shouldn't, though. I mean, I, maybe let me not speak for them. though. They probably would not appreciate me speaking for them, although I feel like I'm very often like a small market Indiana advocate. Yeah, but you, um, live, in New York, you live in New York now, Chris. You've, lo- you've lost your I've never, Midwest. I've you've never lived Midwest. in Indiana. You've, you've lost your Midwest okay. cred. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, I watched plenty of Indiana. I, I wrote about Matherin and the, the Pacers earlier in the year. He, he, like you said, you preface everything by saying he's a rookie. And so it's like there also aren't expectations that he's going to be this all-around superstar right away. I don't no, think he, anyone he's, expected. He's f- let's, let's be clear. He's more than fine. He's a exactly franchise building block kind of piece, you, and no one expected him to be averaging sixteen a game as a rookie either. Certainly off the bench, which is like that's kind of incredible. We we really haven't had. I, I don't know the last time you'd have to go back and look at um, a rookie that was doing. I don't think we've ever had a rookie that averaged that much off the bench before. Um, it's really really encouraging to watch. That said. I, I think most people, and I think even Indiana fans, if you if you talk to them for long enough, would admit that like, okay, he he might not be the most well-rounded rookie yet. And if that's what you're looking at, and you're looking at someone that's in a, well, I say a winning situation. We're also in a spot now where like Indiana is probably similarly positioned to where the Jazz are. 
not, not but, probably, definitely. So, so I mean, but I will say Walker Kessler, I mean, at one point until very recently, the guy was leading the league in, in blocks, like overall blocks, because he's played in most of these games. Uh, he's a, a guy lot of, that, a lot of people in Minneapolis just got a little sick to their stomach. I know, I, but I mean, that's a guy that you watch him and he looks like he's a seven year vet. Um, there are times where Matherin looks like that from the standpoint of the guy can really score the damn ball. Uh, he's got other aspects of his game to round out. Kessler looks more, uh, he, he's more of a two way threat. And I, I think that that's unusual to see from rookies, uh, even ones that win rookie of the year. So, uh, I, I I definitely understand having him higher up. I, I was going to say before you got to it, I'm pretty sure Jalen Williams has to be number two at this point. I mean, he's just been too good for too long. 30-point performances, 50% shooting. He's a guard. He can shoot it from outside. He's a great passer. Uh, he he slashes to the, to the hoop. And it, the, the scariest thing about him uh, is that, like, they've got three guys that at some point could realistically be all-star level ball handlers. Uh, and we're also talking about a team that has uh, a few guys that can really step out and shoot that are bigger. Uh, we're talking about a team that doesn't have Chet Holmgren. We're talking about a team that if they do miss this postseason for whatever reason, that they will get a pick. And not to mention Sam Presti always has picks in abundance. So uh, it's a really interesting situation. But Jalen Williams, like a redraft would be really interesting because of how well Jalen Williams has played this I'll year. I'll tell you. Fantastic. I'll tell you this, Chris Herring, Paolo Bancaro, better finish strong. That's all I'm saying. Better finish wow. strong. Wow. Wow. That's how good Jalen Williams is. Uh, here are, are some other. Uh, this is the end of my shorter list for six man of the year. Okay. So I have mentioned quickly Brogdon, Portis, Reeves, Monk, and then Powell got in as an aside. Christian Wood got in as an aside. The other two names that are sort of in this in this tier for me are Bruce Brown, yeah, and Tyus Jones. I think Tyus Jones. This is so weird, Zach. I wish I, I'm going to hold this up. You'll see it. The the viewers won't. Can you see the very uh, top is... of this here where it says you have handwriting? I look like I feel like I'm reading like a someone's diary from 1785 with the slanted the slanted oh, writing. Man. That's very it's very good old school it's like writing. A Give me some credit. So this is, it says Wood, T. Jones, B. Brown, and this Matherin. Yeah, I see it. So it's like it, we we pretty much ended up in the same spot here. These were the that was the long list for me, and the other guys were on the short list. Tyus Jones, amid injuries, Morant's absence, general yeah. chaos, Dylan Brooks hitting people, just just <laughs> comes to play every single night. Oh, you need me to yeah. start? That's cool. I'll, I'll, I'll. And you need, you need me to shoot a little bit more. Maybe earlier in my career, I, w- I would have been reluctant to do that because I was very, very cautious. That's why I led the league in assisted turnovers every year. Mm-hmm. I'll shoot more. I'll shoot more pull-up threes. You want me to shoot pull-up threes? I'll shoot some pull-up threes. Um, ten points and five assists a game. Forty-four percent, thirty-eight percent from three. They're a plus with him on the court. Um, plays half of every game basically. Can play with Morant, although that lineup has not worked out. Uh, so well this season it was better last season I, I just he's just one of those overlooked guys whose development from low risk game manager to still good game manager but gives you more juice has been a big big deal for the Grizzlies and he's what I mean they paid him a lot he's probably the highest paid backup point guard in the league and he's earned it he, he is as good as that contract he I mean he's also and I was gonna say 
for a long time, I kind of put him and Monty Morris in the same tier of, of like, to me, those were like the two best backup guards in the league, uh, backup point guards, floor general type point guards in the league. Uh, Monty got the starting job when he got traded to Washington. And so it kind of just leaves Tyus Jones uh, at that point. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Brogdon, you know, whatever. But Tyus Jones, uh, partic- that was the thought I had in mind, too. It's just like that team at this point looks totally different now than it did a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, we talked about Brandon Clark. All that adds up to more responsibility. And like like you said, they've been doing this. We, If it weren't for last year, I think we would be impressed with the fact that Memphis is kind of sort of held it together this year if it weren't for the fact that they went like 21 and five or whatever it was last year when Without was Moran, it was better than that even uh, right so 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 that's my point is like you don't i mean and granted we know that the defense gets a lot better they at least got a lot better when jaw wasn't there last year but so much of that was tyus jones being able to hold down the fort the defense the the assist to turnover ratio that i felt like only javon carter could kind of match uh it, I mean, he's just a special player, and he's he's capable of holding down a starting job. He's shown it for years at this point. And uh, Memphis is, like you said, they paid handsomely to have it. But even with that, you get the impression that they're they're very fortunate to have somebody that produces like that for that team. We have now reached the I'm going to say some names to be nice phase of the conversation. So here are some names that I want to say uh, okay. to, to be nice. Because I am a nice person. Some people don't think I'm very nice, but I, but I am. <laughs> um, and if your player's name is not mentioned, it doesn't mean he's not. I mean, I got a lot of names on this list. I can't. I can't I'm can't. i sorry, Alec Burks and Gabe Vincent and Kenrich Williams. And I, I just can't mention you. I can't mention everybody. I just mentioned you, but I also can't mention you. So there's more, <laughs> there's more like that. Karis LeVert, your University of Michigan compatriot. Are they in the tournament still? Michigan did not make the tournament, my friend. Wow, this shows you how. Uh, first, how the first time in I think I seven years they haven't. But well, what the hell? Yeah, Michigan happened? State is still in. Uh, a lot of people asking that question about our friend Juwan, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what next year holds. Um, best, it's been a good time song, to embrace football song, again at Michigan. Best fight song in college sports. Hail to the victors, valiant. Yeah. Okay, some names, some guys. <laughs> um, Onyeka Akangwu. just like just like him only. Only averages nine points and seven rebounds. Well, that only is not for the seven rebounds. It's for the nine points. Just a minute ceiling on him with Capella there. But he he does, on both ends of the floor, what you want him to do. Corey Kispert. I'm just going down the list in order of I have. I went through the standings, so this is where they are. Corey Kispert, not going to get you a lot of rebounds or assists or anything like that. But defense shaky. But he comes off the bench. He does his job. He moves around. He does stuff. TJ McConnell, rock solid. Alex Caruso, can you shoot more? Maybe the Bulls are like a million. Is he going to have too many starts to make the team? Like I don't know. Right now he's eligible. Is he? Is he? What, what's he at now? It, I think it doesn't he had matter. Like, he's not going to win the award. It doesn't. Matter. I know. I know what he won't. But I think Just I looked at him and it was sometimes. like I think he had twenty. What he had twenty eight starts out of fifty nine games he's played so far. So he's like right ooh, on that line. Ooh. So he may he may be off the line. The rule is you you have to come off the bench more than you start. Uh, right. But the Bulls, look, good things happen when he's on the floor. That's, Absolutely. And that's been the case for a while. Cole Anthony missed a bunch of games early in the season. Yeah. It has been a key engine since then for the Magic. Um, 
You want to mention some names? I'll yield the floor to you. Any names you want to say? I I, I looked at those last two that you just mentioned between Caruso and, and Cole, but I, I figured we, this always happens whenever we do this. Like you always have a few names where I'm like, I didn't seriously look at that one, but I looked. Uh, so those were really the last two, Caruso. And then I'm going to say some right more names. I'm going to say got some more the... names. Oh, I got names. <laughs> I'm a nice person. I like to compliment people for their good work. I Dante got a really Di... big team. Dante right. DiVincenzo. Okay. I can't even read who this is. Uh, oh. oh, you're talking about my handwriting and you can't no, no. even read your own stuff. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it's a very deep cut. And again, he's not going to make the ballot. The Thunder are plus eight per 100 possessions with Isaiah Joe on the floor and minus yeah. two with him off the floor. And considering that Shea is a low-volume three-point shooter, Giddy's a shaky three-point shooter, Dort's a shaky three-point shooter, J-Dub has been a better three-point shooter of late but doesn't garner all that much respect, they're just different when he's on the floor. Now, he only plays 18 minutes a game, so forget it. But He makes them had, count, though. He, he, he's had a very good season. Malik Beasley... Love it. Russell Westbrook, not going to make my ballot, but, you know, he embraced the role with the Lakers. Now he's starting with the Clippers. Hard to know kind of what to make of that candidacy. Yeah. Jose Alvarado and Larry Nance Jr., you both fell out of this conversation, but when you were healthy, you were quite good. Um, Kenrich Williams, shout out Kenrich Williams. Always shout out the Waco Wave hairstyle, Kenrich Williams. <laughs> Zach Collins. Quietly has sort of rebuilt his career after, I think, three seasons basically lost to injury. 11-6 and six a game, 52% shooting, 39% on threes. The Spurs are bad regardless of who's on the floor because they're just bad, so ignore the scoring mark. Just kind of a nice story. The guy rebuilt his career, and uh, I wanted to say his name. There are other names I could say, but I'm going to leave the names there. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you want to we, – we talked about this offline. Did you want to talk about – Rookies at all? I thought we were going to maybe transition from Matherin at one point to well, the Well, we kind of talked about the rookie of the year ballot, but first team all rookie is going to be, I think there's, I, I think Bancaro, Jalen Williams, Matherin, and Kessler are going to be all pretty close to unanimous choices, right? And so your fifth spot. What do you spot, think for that fifth spot? You're going to hear some Keegan Murray, Jaden Ivey, Jabari mm-hmm. Smith Jr. I, 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 I just love Tari Eason so much that I'm going to say his name too. I, um, I have him on my list too. Anyone else? A guy I would consider. Um, a- anyone I, else? For now, for right now, uh, any other guys I'm considering for first team? Probably not. I, I, I think Keegan Murray and Ivy. I think are kind of the two that I think people are going to probably um, take a beat on to figure out. And that, at least with me, I feel like after that, there's a little bit of a drop off. But um, the second team will be really interesting because I feel like there's like eight, nine guys that uh, maybe more. If you think I've spent five seconds thinking about second team all rookie yet, you are mistaken, <laughs> my friend. Okay, well I had to I had to take some time to figure out who wasn't going to make my first team when we had this conversation. So that's true. We, we have... just sort of named a few guys that are going to be second team all rookie. Right. I think having done no statistical research other than you know my day to day life of covering the league. Mm-hmm. If you're forcing me to choose between Keegan Murray and Jaden Ivey for the last first-team all-rookie spot, I'm going to just sort of default to the guy who's been on a winning team playing um, playing in a context in which what he does actually matters. Like, Jaden okay. Ivey has freedom to just be, do and – and he has I, – I wrote about Jaden Ivey in 10 things two weeks ago. The Jaden Ivey now 
compared to the Jaden Ivey 20 games in, is a completely different player. Yeah. Much more under control, changing pace, slowing down, shooting better. The crazy turnovers are a little bit down. Which is I what you want to see. I, I think in my column I said, look, we expect everyone to improve from year one to year two. It's not always linear like that. Some guys stagnate. Some guys make huge leaps. I think Jaden Ivey is a candidate to make a bigger than expected leap from year one to year two, bigger than standard for guys even picked in his range. I'm just kind of going to default to the guy whose games are important. I, and I, I think, I, I I, I think that's okay. That. I, I would not blame you for that. I haven't made up my mind really on that that last spot. I mean, Keegan, when I was uh, – first of all, really fun guys. Like they, they kind of make fun of it. You, you had that interview with Kevin Herter uh, probably a couple months back. And he mentioned, I, I think, that uh, Keegan doesn't uh, – he's, like, not experimental at all with what he eats at all. And so I had fun when I went down there to, to speak to him about some of it. And um, I, he, he, I asked him, like, what's the most adventurous thing you ate? And he looked over at the PR person, and she was, he was like, what was it that you guys made me try? And it was like Red Snapper. He's like, oh, yeah, like, I hated that. Um, so he was really fun to talk to. But even him, I find him fascinating because he is a guy – that while he was at Iowa, he did not – there were – handoffs were not involved in his college offense. And then he goes to play with the Kings, and it's like this is the hub of their offense is to use handoffs with Sabonis and with Herter. It's kind of – I don't know if you would call it the thing that has kind of catapulted them, but if it's not the thing, it's like up there with the other things. Uh Keegan Murray, at one point, when I was researching the story that I was writing in mid-February, late February, he had the highest effective field goal percentage in the league off guys that were getting, I think, two handoffs a game. Higher than Steph, so, higher than Herter. Like, he's a guy that, to your point, like, me validating what you're saying as far as, like, if he's your guy for the fourth spot, fifth spot, wherever, on that first team, you cannot argue with it. I mean, he's been legitimate. He's a knockdown shooter. He's gotten better on defense as the season has gone. Um, he's, he's, he's going to be a really, really good player. And it's you haven't even really seen all of it unlocked because he's playing in an offense that's so equal opportunity, really. So it was clear a week into the season, and I wrote about him, I think, in the very first 10 things of the year. This dude is a basketball player. He understands. Yeah. He sees the game well. He feels the game well. He cuts. He rebounds. He makes the right reads on defense. And I just bookmarked it in my brain last week in Brooklyn. He had Seth Curry on him on a switch, and they gave him the ball, and he, like, destroyed Seth Curry. And I know that, you know, well, of course he's got a big size advantage. Seth Curry's not a great defender. I'm talking, like, destroyed him, drove right through him, dunked. And not everybody can do that when they get a size mismatch. Like, not every rookie can do that when they get a size mismatch. And I think he's going to – and you can even see it when he cuts – if he's cutting against a smaller guy and he catches it, he kind of just finishes over and through that guy. I think he's, he's going to be really good. He's just a good. He's just a good basketball player, and Sabonis loves him. Sabonis absolutely loves yeah. him and has pushed him really hard to mix up the way he uses the handoffs to cut back door sometimes, and mm-hmm. and and really sort of takes takes joy in that. One of the coaches told me last week, I think it was when one of the games against the Clippers, all the coaches kind of smiled because Keegan Murray got an, a, a defensive rebound and Sabonis called for the ball because Sabonis is Sabonis. He's That's one of his great skills is bringing it up. Right. And Keegan Murray looked off of him, brought the <laughs> ball up himself, 
and went coast to coast, I think, for a basket. And the coach was yeah. like, ooh. Okay. Keegan right. Murray's <laughs> growing up. Looked off Domas right. and was like, I'll take up myself, big fella. Um, yeah. Chris Herring, what else, what, what do we got this week? Your newsletter comes out tomorrow, right? What else? What's, what's yeah, gonna the be newsletter. Uh, I think at this point we're mostly cooking up stuff for the playoffs, so like longer features for that. So I'll probably ooh. start making some more trips to lock in some of that. I got some ideas cooking, but – uh, but nothing, nothing massive. Just the newsletter, like you said, and I'll probably have one other piece later this week. Well, so and the small. Kings, the Kings piece you mentioned came out what a couple of weeks ago. Um, maybe, yeah, might might have been last week. I'm getting all, it's all running together for me. But it was really recent. It was earlier this month for sure. The the pandemic has definitely just destroyed everybody's sense of when things happened and why and how. I know. And I see um, you in a hotel room, so I know it's probably blending together for you too, brother. <laughs> eh, you know, it's it's all good. I like Los Angeles. Yeah. I love Los Angeles. I've grown as as a New Yorker, as a proper New Yorker, which I will still claim, even though I'm now a suburban loser. Um, a, <laughs> a suburban loser. Yeah, no, I'll just leave it at that. I I was pro- I was properly, um, not pro Los Angeles. For a long time, like oh, it's the other coastal city. It's too glitzy. It's too they people care too much about how they look in their cars and there's traffic and blah blah. blah. <laughs> it, it it by trip number seven out here, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I get it. It's it's yep. a, it's it's always warm. It's just always yep. people are whining here that it's been raining lately. I'm like, I look. There are a lot of problems wet weather wise and what that portends for <laughs> summer and the wildfires and all that. Those are real right. things, but man, it's nice here all the time. There's tons of smart, creative people here. Um, the beach is not far away. You learn how to yeah. game. You learn how to game traffic as best you can. I'm a huge, huge fan. I did I had an a, argument. I tried to relocate our family to Los Angeles, and I and I was defeated. oh boy. I had a lunch with. I had a lunch with Marin Fader, the great, great feature writer uh, over at the Ringer, and uh, we were out in LA one day, and I just it was like an awakening for me because it was 80 and it was at a time where it was really cold in Chicago. And I was like, it was the first time it really hit me. I did not have a a proper appreciation for Miami even because we were there so many summers in a row for those LeBron finals. And it's like, to me, I'm like, Oh, what's the difference? Like it's 90 here. Sure. But it's 90 everywhere in June. You have to go to LA and Miami when it's like January, December, and then you you have a, a full appreciation for it. So, so dirty, I, I understand dirty it. Now. Little secret: if the Heat have a homestand in early January, I try to take my family from Toronto, where we go for Christmas, to Miami for New Year's. It, and and again, like a proper New Yorker, I assumed all the worst things about Miami before I started spending time there. <laughs> I am now like a Miami evangelist. Miami is too. amazing. And there was one year we went from Toronto to Miami where in the span of that three or whatever hour flight, we gained 100 degrees Fahrenheit. 100. It was like oh. minus 20 in Toronto and 80 in Miami. And I was like, yep. this is. Yeah. It's my fiance's favorite place. So if, if I end up living there in the next Food few years, is amazing. You know why it happened. Art is amazing. Diversity. You hear different languages, different cuisines. Mm-hmm. Miami is wildly 
Not, it's not underrated. It's properly rated. There's a reason why everybody loves going to Miami because it turns out it's freaking awesome. Okay, that's the end of our NBA <laughs> Cities Love Fest. Chris Herring at SI.com. Read him. Listen to him. Subscribe to his newsletter. It's And read his book, Blood in the Garden, the story of – I'm getting the subtitle wrong. The 90s New York Knicks who beat the crap out of everyone and were one of my least favorite teams as a kid, as a dumb kid <laughs> who didn't like their style of play. Fantastic book. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate you as always. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.